Uh, let me begin by saying that I was born and raised in South LA. It was a segregated city. The white folks lived in the beautiful areas of LA and the blacks and Mexicans lived in the not so beautiful parts of LA. So I grew up with an inferiority complex. I was ashamed of my race. I grew up hating the color of my skin. I asked God why I was born, why wasn't I born white with blue eyes and blonde hair. I even put a, a yellow streak on my hair when I was young. I had an identity crisis that affected my life for many years. And like me, Michael Jackson also had an identity crisis. And with all due respect, as we all know, Michael Jackson had a serious identity crisis. His crisis was much deeper than his appearance. His identity crisis goes back to his childhood because there was a point in his life where his identity crisis brought him to a crossroads in his life, like me. And at it, this crossroads, he had to decide whether to stay with kinky hair or go with straight hair, whether to stay with a wide nose or go with a narrow nose, whether to stay with puffy lips or deflate his lips, whether to stay black or go white. And his most severe identity crisis was whether to stay a kid or grow up to be a man. Michael Jackson had a serious identity crisis. But like Michael Jackson, we also have a serious identity crisis, more serious than Michael Jackson has, was facing. Well, we have to hurry because we have a flight to catch. So with a little imagination, grab your suitcase, uh, but instead of filling up with clothes, fill it up with some vegetables. Fill it up with some tomatoes, cucumbers, lettuce, broccoli, and if you're Afro-American, put some collard greens in there, mustard greens, black-eyed peas, and if you're Mexican-American or Latino, put some nopales, chili jalapenos, and cilantro, because we're going to Babylon. The message of this, of my message, the name of my message is Veggies versus Burger King. Veggies versus Burger King. Yeah, there are three themes that constantly appear in the Bible. And these three themes, themes or subjects are forgiveness, fellowship, and obedience. And each of these themes give witness to the character of God, who God is. They testify to who God is. In forgiveness, we experience the full forgiveness of God. In fellowship, we are invited to fellowship with God. And in obedience, we are called to faithfulness that gives us life as we listen to God. Listening to God gives us life. And as we testify what God has done in our lives, we begin to celebrate our new creation because a new creation in Jesus is a reason to celebrate. Every morning we wake up, we should wake up rejoicing, thanking Jesus for what he has done in our lives. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about believers being a new creation. We all are new creatures made new by the gospel. The gospel makes us into new people. And as new people, we are still being created and recreated into the image of Jesus. Our transformation never stops. Better husbands, better fathers, better people in every area of our lives. 
The gospel, the Bible teaches us that we are people who struggle with our identity, with who we are as people. Many times we are still confused concerning our identity, who we are. That's why we go back to our booze, we go back to our drugs, believing we're still alcoholics, that we're still drug addicts, because we're still confused concerning our identity. God didn't call us to be confused. That's why today I'm going to be speaking on the crisis of who we are, the crisis of our personhood. Since it is a crisis we face every day of our lives, like Michael Jackson did. Because many times, as a people of God, we are talked out of who we are. They tell us that we're no good. We, will become, we won't become anything, and we believe those voices. We are robbed by the power, courage, energy, and freedom that Jesus gave to us and that belongs to us. The power and courage and energy and freedom that Jesus gives us are stolen from us. We are conned, we are mugged and robbed from our identity. There are deadly beliefs in our society that are devoted to destroy us. Pornography is out to take our morals and make us into perverts. The tobacco industry is out to kill us with their cancerous, addictive smoke. The alcohol industry wants to deceive us that we could be social drinkers. But all we need to do is ask all those winos in Skid Row, like my father, how they started. All we need to do is ask all those so-called social drinkers in Hollywood how they started. And the drug cartel, well, we know all what they want to do to us. But the gospel talks about a new life for those who would listen. The gospel talks about the reality of being loved and being reloved. It talks about the reality of being treasured, trusted, of being called and being gifted. That we may become free to live the life that God has called us into. So, the text that we will be, uh, will focus on is Daniel chapter 1. You could turn to that because that's where we're going to be at for the rest of the evening. Daniel chapter 1. I'll give you a little time to uh, turn to it. Daniel chapter 1. In this chapter, we will consider the theme of personhood, of who we are, what is our identity. And as we watch and listen to this text, we will experience the power of the gospel change our lives. The gospel makes us into human beings that God wants us to be. What we're going to see in this passage is the power of hope to people who believe. Believing in Jesus gives us hope. We also are going to see in people the confidence and resistance in the midst of temptation. In the midst of temptation, we could have confidence. We're going to see individuals who in the middle of crisis still trusted in their God. Anytime we are tempted, this is going to cause a problem with our identity, who we are. Many times we forget who we are in the midst of temptation. We get amnesia. In other words, in the midst of crisis, will we continue to behave as children of God? Or will we be swallowed up by the world's standards? Will we be able to withstand the pressure of temptation since our identity as children of God is beyond the reach of temptation? Israel's identity was given by God just like our identity is given by Jesus. So Israel and us don't have to accept the identity the world wants to give us. We don't have to accept any category the world wants to give us, such as drug addicts, alcoholics, that we're no good. The world can assault me all at once, 
but I know who I am. I'm God's child, and I'm a Christian, and that's what you should believe. In our context, our crisis of identity doesn't concern persecution, but seduction of our identity into a false world. We are being seduced in our world. Daniel, in this story, was not only facing persecution by Nebuchadnezzar, but also seduction by the temptations of Babylon. He was facing all that Babylon had to offer. Also, the story of Daniel invites us to imagine a world beyond the visible world and see God's world in action. God wants us to imagine his world. The book of Daniel invites us to look beyond the world of common sense and common experience and go to a world where the unexpected happens, into a world where God surprises us every morning. The purpose of Daniel is to break open our lives and look beyond the normal and give us a fresh identity and faith. God wants, to look, wants us to look beyond the normal in order to shape our identity. The passage invites us to imagine ourselves afresh, to embrace fresh forms of obedience, and to enjoy fresh forms of freedom. Obedience brings freedom. So the text in Daniel invites us to hold on to the identity, the destiny that God gave us. Our identity will determine our destiny. And as we come, we will know that we don't have to be slaves to the world. Our identity as Christians will free us from the world. Daniel 1 tells us a story about courage in the face of imperial pressure and seduction. And by imperial, I mean any empire, whether the Babylonian Empire or the American Empire that we live in. The Babylonian Empire wanted Daniel to conform to his way and to his values. What was available to Daniel and his three friends was success through conformity. If Daniel wanted, to, uh, wanted success, he had to conform. He had to become a Babylonian. What the empire was telling Daniel was, if you go along, we'll get along. But the story tells us that Daniel did not go alone. Daniel did not conform to the pressures and seduction of Babylon. He did not fall for his seduction. The story tells us that Daniel, even under the threat, did not conform for the sake of well-being. He rather die than to conform in order to live. What was facing Daniel is also facing us in our society, in our world, and that is seduction. The story is telling us not to conform to the American empire with all its seductions. The world, our society wants to seduce us. Daniel knew, as we should know, that there is another way to live in the world, even in the world of Nebuchadnezzar, even in our society. In verses uh, 1, 2, and 6, the story begins, begins in exile. Daniel is in exile in Babylon. Let me read uh, verses 1, 2, and 6. In the third year of the reign of King Joachim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Joachim of Judah fall into his power as well as some of the vessels of the house of the Lord. Verse 6, among them was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. Here we see that faithfulness to any other god but the god to Babylon is hated and feared in Babylon. Babylon only has one god, and that is Nebuchadnezzar. Exile is a place that you're at that is not your home. Daniel was in exile in Babylon, but that was not his home. His home was in the land of Israel. Like us, heaven is our home, not here. But for now, 
Daniel was in a foreign land, a place that was not his home, just like us. This world is not my home because the Bible tells me that this world is not my home. My real home is in heaven. And one day I will be home. Hopefully not too soon, though. Uh, just like Daniel was in exile, a foreigner in Babylon, we're also foreigners in the American empire. We're just waiting, ready to go home. We're alien residents here. But it is here in exile that decisions have to be made concerning, concerning faithfulness. They have to be made. We have to make decisions here concerning our faith in our marriage or as a person. Daniel's faithfulness, just like our faithfulness, have to be made in an alien world in the face of the empire that we live in. Our empire is no different than the Babylonian empire. To Daniel, the lord of his exile is Nebuchadnezzar. To us, the lord of our empire is Hugh Hefner, Hollywood, Larry Flint, Wall Street, the tobacco, alcohol, and drug cartels. Those are the lords of our empire, and they're out to seduce us. And it is in this world that we have to make decisions concerning the God or gods we're going to worship. What God are we going to serve? In verse 2, the story reveals that God was the cause of the exile, that God was the instigator of the Jewish exile. God was the one that sent them into exile, not Nebuchadnezzar. What uh, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know was there was a hidden king governing the world. But the story lets us know that there was a hidden king in the world of Babylon. Just like there's a hidden king that governs our world, and hopefully we all know who that king is. Jesus governs our world, even if King Trump doesn't know it. In this story, Daniel knew something of this hidden king. And Daniel let this hidden king define his character, his identity to act, and his ability to act. Daniel wasn't going to let the king he seen define his character. He was going to let the king that he didn't see define his character. The king no one sees. He, determined, he should determine our character. Daniel chapter 1 gives us three scenes. In the first scene, the king invites those that have arrived to his uh, palace. He invites Daniel and his three friends to his palace. Let's read uh, verses 3 and 4. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to uh, bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and the nobility. Young man without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. In this invitation, we see nothing malicious or devious in the king's proposal, just an invitation. But we will see that in this invitation, it will become a subtle royal seduction. It sounds and looks good. That's why it's, it's a royal seduction. It's just like if you would receive an invitation to Hugh Hefner's mansion. No evil intentions in Hugh Hefner's invitation. Just an invitation. In fact, many would be honored to receive an invitation from King Hefner. I would, if I wasn't a, if I wasn't a Christian. But we know, but we know what lies behind the walls of that mansion. It wouldn't take long for one to be seduced into to the immorality that takes place there. To the people in Babylon, this invitation to these Jewish boys was seen as an act of generosity giving these Jewish boys a chance to move up in the world. And to other people, 
it was an opportunity to move up. And we read in verses 4 and 3 that these youth were to be handsome, skilled in all wisdom, knowledge, and learning. That kind of leaves us out. Uh, these youth were the best and the brightest. They were the cream of the crop. In our time, these are the ones that every major university desires. These are the ones that after they graduate are pursued by large corporations. In verse 5, it tells us that the king proposed a three-year training program before service can begin. Those in training are to be fed with the best the empire could offer, the same rich food and wine the king consumes. All the steaks, lobster, and wine you could eat and drink. Let's read verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations and food and wine. They were to be educated for three years, so at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. This is how seduction begins. This is a subtlety of seduction, an invitation to enjoy the best the empire has to offer, an invitation to enjoy food, drink, and life. Here we find no word or trace of conformity. Here we find no hint of conforming to the empire. Just give these Jewish boys the best the empire offers and let them decide for themselves. The world offers and lets us decide. Eat, drink, enjoy life, and you decide. Three years to enjoy the best restaurants in New York and San Francisco. Three years to learn in the University of Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. Three years to develop admiration for Goldman Sachs and the loyalty to the system of payoffs. And the ones that will make it in the empire are the ones that will leave their faith in God, what God values, and their morality outside the door. We leave God for what the world offers. And many times, we as Christians fall into that same trap. We want the best for our children. We want them to prosper and make it in the world. So we encourage them to go to the best schools so they may enjoy the rich food of the empire. But we do this without noticing that royal service to the empire might result in conformity to the empire. We send our children as sheep in the midst of wolves. And... Many of our children, once they have finished their education, come back as a different person. They're not the same person, the son and daughter you once knew. Their character has changed. Their thinking has changed. Their belief in God has changed. Now, they're like the empire. The empire has even changed their names. Your son, who was named Daniel, comes back with the name Belshazzar, or Yuppie, Yippie, or Greek, Geek, or any kind of name the empire puts on you. A name of one of those many gods of the empire. They even put a PhD after his or her name to dignify it. They, uh, may, become, they, they may become very attractive even to the parents that we don't even notice the high cost of conformity. All we see is the PhDs after their name. The text moves us to the second scene in verses uh, 8 to 16. It starts in verse 8 by saying, but Daniel resolved. Daniel determined. Let's read verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations, rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel resolved to decide differently. Daniel had enough wisdom and discernment to see beyond the rich food, the education and prestige the empire was offering. He had enough insight. Daniel would not let what he was taught as a Jewish boy 
that there are certain things in the world that will defile you, your way of being and your way of thinking. He was resolved. He was determined not to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. Daniel would not let his Jewish values be swallowed up by the values of Babylon or the world. Daniel knew what was right and what was wrong. Daniel's resolve, his decision, is what we should have and teach our children to have. Daniel knew that he could not fit or conform into the landscape of the empire. It looks good, but he knew better. Daniel would rather stand alone in the empire with people looking at him as a nodball, as a nonconformist, than to give up the values and beliefs that he was taught as a child. Daniel had to make some choices in an empire that were against certain things that he valued and believed in. We have to make choices in our world that is against us. Daniel, Daniel decided, decided that it was okay to get an education in the empire as long as he could hold on to what he believed in. Education is okay. Yale is okay. Bethy is even better. <laughs> it's okay to send our kids to the best universities as long as they come back with the name you gave them. You, could give, you gave them the name Christian. You come back with that name. Don't come back with the name Yuppie. Yeah. It's probably no word there, but. But in verse 8, it tells us one thing Daniel would not do. It tells us that Daniel would not defile himself with the food or wine of the empire. To the food and wine of the empire, Daniel said no. The verb defile that Daniel uses here escalates a confrontation between Daniel and the empire. The word defile on Daniel's lips contains a degrading comment against the empire. What uh, Daniel is saying is that the food, that the king's food stinks. The king's food is defiled, it is rotten. That's what he means by defiled. Daniel is saying that the king's diet will make him unacceptable to the king because it will distort the person that he is, the person God made him into. Daniel will not contaminate his values. The empire, our empire, don't need more people like themselves. They, don't, they, they, uh, they, they need people different from them that they could show them the true meaning in life. They don't need more clones. They have enough already. The problem with people like us, who never ate the food of the empire, who never drank the wine of the king, is that when it is set before us, when it is set before us, we will eat it and drink it without noticing how it will affect our character and our beliefs. We consume everything that Hollywood dishes out. We consume everything that Wall Street dishes out. We consume everything the empire, the American empire, dishes out without noticing how it could distort our way of living and thinking as Christians, who is a light and salt of the world. Instead of saying no to the world, we say yes. We are the ones who have the real food that could change the empire's life, but yet we let their food, their goods, change ours. Instead of being light and bread, we embrace the world's darkness. We see that Daniel has his own criteria. He has his own set of values, and his values owe nothing to the Babylonian empire. We owe nothing to the world. In fact, the world owes me 31 years it took for me. So in verse 8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself with the king's rich food. 
or with the wine the king drank. Daniel objection to eat the rich imperial food is grounded in his religious beliefs concerning Jewish purity. Daniel knew that purity was part of his faith. In the Jewish faith, there were certain things you couldn't eat, drink, or touch because these things would contaminate you. There were certain laws that kept you from being uh, defiled, that kept you pure, just like there's certain things that Christians don't do, like looking at pornography, drinking booze, smoking, because these things defile us, they contaminate us. And just like in the American empire, no one cares about staying pure. So it was in the Babylonian empire. No one cared about such a thing as be, being pure or clean. Get high, enjoy pornography, enjoy life, do what you want to do to satisfy your desires. To Daniel, staying pure is not a small matter. It wasn't to Daniel, and it shouldn't be to us. So we see in this story that Daniel refuses the imperial food. He refuses the imperial plot. He refuses to be conned. And we see in verse 8 that Daniel doesn't show off his defiance. But he asked the chief eunuch concerning his decision not to defile himself. He is not arrogant. He is humble. Here we see Daniel acting freely, and he is prepared for whatever may come concerning his decision to stay pure. He is determined to stay pure, no matter what comes his way. And we read in verse 9 that God gave favor and compassion to Daniel because Daniel decided to resist the temptation and seduction of the Babylonian Empire. Let me read verse 9. Now God allowed, allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. And we are no different than Daniel in our American empire because we too have to resist the temptation and seduction of the American empire. We have to resist like Daniel did. And we see that in the first scene in verses 3 to 7, God is absent. But we see that when God's people are at risk and in danger, as in verse 8, God's power becomes present in our lives, as he did in verse 9. God's presence is always with us when there's temptation and when there's crisis in our lives. Anytime God's children decide to say no to the Babylonian Empire or the American Empire and say yes to God, God steps in with power favor and compassion. <laughs> Daniel's courage to stand against the Babylonian Empire called, called forth God's solidarity with Daniel. Anytime we say no to temptation and seduction, God is there in solidarity with us. God is standing right by our side. So we see in verse 10, that the chief priest goes along with Daniel's plan. Let me read verse uh, 10. The palace master said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young man of your age, you would endanger my head. But we see that the chief eunuch hesitates out of fear for his personal security. The eunuch is scared. He fears for his life. Here we see a sharp contrast between the eunuch and Daniel. The chief eunuch hesitates because he fears what the king will do to him. He fears for his life. Here we see that the chief eunuch will conform to the empire for the sake of saving his life. But we see Daniel doing the opposite. Daniel will resist the empire in order to save his life. Daniel knows that he needs to risk his life in order to save it. Daniel knew, like Jesus knew, that whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life will save it. Daniel knew that. Many times we will conform to our empire to achieve our goals. 
to get to the top. Many times we will conform to the American empire to satisfy our goals and desires. And when we do that, instead of saving our lives, we will lose them. So in verses uh, 11 through 14, the challenge from Daniel to the chief eunuch begins. Let me read 4, 11 to 14. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azira, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young man who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. Now, all of you can open your suitcase. Daniel and his three friends have 10 days of vegetables and water. Now you can start eating all your veggies because in 10 days, you will stand before the king. But we see in verse 13 that there's still another group of youth who do not resist but conform to the imperial food and wine. Two groups, both have 10 days. One group conforms to the empire, the other resists the empire. Who will win? Well, in verse 15, it tells us who won. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. rations. We should have known it would turn out this way, right? It works to be a Jew like Daniel. It works to be a Christian. It works to resist the empire. We should have known that Daniel was going to win. But we really didn't know. We think we know, but not really. All we have to do is look at our own lives and, and see how many times we conform to the temptations and seductions of our empire and not resist. Instead of resisting, we conform. Daniel knew, no matter how silly it may look to others, Daniel knew that Jewish veggies will outwork Babylonian beef. So now you can eat all your veggies. Daniel knew and was convicted that no Babylonian beef, no matter how good it tastes, can outdo Jewish veggies. We should also know that the bread Jesus gives us can outdo anything the world gives us. We see that the story makes us wait 10 days to see the outcome. It leaves us in suspense. Ten days. God makes his way to see if we're going to trust him all the way. God makes us wait in order to test our faith. God could have done it in one day, but he takes ten days in order to test our faith and patience in him. Many times we give up in the second day or in the ninth day. And at the end of the scene, uh, verse 16, the eunuch is safe, and Daniel is no longer pressured to conform. Let me read verse 16. So the guard continued to withdraw the royal rations and wine that they were to drink and give, gave them vegetables. Now Daniel can act out his faith in the God in the Babylonian empire who thinks that is God. The more we resist, the less pressure it will be to conform. But the more we conform to Babylonian society or our empire, the less we will resist. In the third scene from 17 to 20, the youth have completed the program and are brought before the king. Imagine yourself coming before the king of Babylon after you finish the program. Hopefully you uh, finished all your veggies because you're going up to the king. Verses 17 to 20, it states, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill, every, and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. At the end of the time that the king has set them, 
to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among them, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and chanders in the whole kingdom. After the king examines Daniel, and after his friends, the king finds them ten times better than all the technicians, lawyers, and CEOs in the empire, with more wisdom than the philosophers, because Daniel resisted, now he is set for a brilliant career. Now he has the freedom to move freely, freely in the Babylon Empire, serving as God. But we know that Daniel's success wasn't simply the result of a proper diet. We know that it was God's gift to Daniel because of Daniel's faith in God. His success is faith in God. In this passage, God is only mentioned twice. Once in verse 9 when Daniel refuses to eat the king's food and again in verse 17. In verse 19, the, the king thinks his program has been successful. The king thinks that his Babylonian beef has accomplished his goal in the youth. He didn't know that Daniel and his friends were only eating Jewish veggies. The king didn't know that Daniel violated his training program. He didn't know that God has won. He didn't know that God had protected Daniel. He doesn't know that it was God that gave Daniel his wisdom and understanding and not his Babylonian beef and Babylonian booze. And above all, the King Burger doesn't know that Daniel is a free man living his life on his own terms and nourished by his own faith and guarded and advanced in his career by his own God. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what God, Daniel, and we know. The reason the king of Babylon doesn't know is because the story of Daniel is made and designed for us and not for the king. The story is for us, not for King Berger. The truth is that this story is aimed against the king to throw him off his throne and set the real king on the throne. God is the real king in Babylon. Jesus is the real king in our society. This story is for us to let us know who the real king is, to let us know that it is Jesus who sits on the throne and not King Hefner, King Flint, King Charles, King Crack, King Booze, King Trump, but King Jesus. So we don't have to conform to these other false kings because the only king we have to conform to is the real king. We say no to every false king and say yes to Jesus. We also, we also see in verse 21 that Daniel outlasted King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 21 it says that Daniel continued there into the first year of King Cyrus. Chapter 2 and verse 1 only gives us some things in the king's life that he did. He wasn't important. So we see that Daniel prevailed over exile and kept his freedom, his faith, even though he was still in exile in Babylon. He did not conform to the ways of Babylon, Daniel did not attempt to gain success by conforming, nor to save his life by keeping it. Daniel overcame seduction through faith in God. But many times we conform without even noticing. We conform because it's so hard, because it's so hard to give up what the world offers. So this passage invites us people like us who face seduction to conform to this world, to think and to respond like Daniel responded. We have to remember like Daniel did, who we are by remembering 
whose we are. We can still be God's people in the face of the empire. We can still be God's people in our Babylonian empire. So let me finish with this. This story that we just read is so down to earth, it is so ordinary. It speaks about something that we do at least five, six times a day. It speaks about something about eating, about food, and about drink. It's something that we do every day, something that we enjoy doing. And the story tells us that it does matter what we eat. It does matter who feeds us and on whose food we depend on. In our world, even basic food comes with a price. The world, our empire, invites us to eat royal bread and think royal thoughts. Our empire invites us to eat their Babylonian bread, eat their Babylonian beef, and to embrace their royal hopes, and to put on their Babylonian ties. But as Christians, we don't have to give in to that Babylonian menu because we have another menu. Because we know that there is another menu, another bread waiting for us on the table. And that other bread is not provided by our Babylonian empire, our, our, our American empire. God invites us to another menu. Let us read God's menu in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. You don't have to turn it to it. Just let me read it. It says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your, your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Here in Isaiah, Isaiah here speaks of imperial bread that costs money but does not satisfy. Submission and conformity to the empire causes us to labor for food that does not satisfy. I've enjoyed a lot of good things and nothing satisfies. The only thing the empire bread does is get us tired and leaves us with a greater hunger for their imperial, imperial food. Everything that the empire offers leaves us empty and wanting more. It does not satisfy. But Daniel and Isaiah tells us that there is another bread, another wine, milk that nourishes us and gives us life. It is this other bread that Daniel uh, preferred and kept his life from bondage to the empire. There is another food that gives us life. The story in Daniel tells us that whoever, feed, what, that whoever feeds us, that's who we belong to. And many times as children of God, we feed on the empire's menu rather than on God's menu, who is Jesus. Many times we stand in the midst of seduction, still confused, not really knowing who can really satisfy our appetites. We're confused like Michael was. This story we just read doesn't urge us nor scold us. It just invites us to imagine another way. It just invites us to imagine another way that brings freedom in our lives. It invites us to freedom. The story invites us to be disciplined concerning our appetites because the empire has a different bed that it wants to feed us. But when we eat off of God's menu, when we eat off of God's bread, when we feed on Jesus, who is the bread of life, this allows us to go home as it did in, the, in exile in Babylon. They went home. They were not seduced by Babylon. It tells us in Ezra and Nehemiah that those in exile went home. God brought them out of exile. That those, uh, those that resisted the food of the empire 
came back home. Those that conformed to the empire stayed in Babylon. See, I want to go home. I don't want to stay in the American empire. But when we resist the empire, Isaiah 55, 12 tells us how we will come out. It tells us, for you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That's what it talks about. That's how we will go out, singing and dancing and rejoicing. Royal Babylonian food takes us captive, but God's bread allows us to come home in freedom and, and with joy, with dancing and singing. So remember who you are and whose you are. And to my Babylonian empire, I say, you could keep your Babylonian bread, your Babylonian beef, your Babylonian booze, your Babylonian brothels, your Babylonian bondage, your Babylonian baloney, and your Babylonian ties. Because I have another menu that satisfied all my desires. My daddy is the head cook in heaven. Uh, I, I, uh, last, last Thursday, uh, Matt spoke. I like the way that he closed. He closed in celebration. Sometimes we don't have, this, this message is for you to think about your identity, who you are in Christ, and walk in that identity, and not to be to seduced by the world. Think about who you are. God called you to be a Christian. That's what you should be. Uh, like I said, math last time, uh, uh, the, the singers and whoever's singing up here could come up. Matt last time just celebrated. We just, just come up and celebrate the Lord uh, for uh, taking us out of bondage, bringing us into a new life. Okay, so uh, stand up and uh, where's, uh, where's, what's his name? Vince, is he here? Okay, Vince, come on. Do one of those songs.